Amen. How is everyone? Excellent. Good. Some of you are awake. Beautiful. Uh, a couple things. Uh, first off, uh, today after church, uh, we've been doing these generational lunches and they've been awesome. Today is the 40 plus crowd. Yes, the gray hairs or what I prefer to say, the sages of the church uh, because I'm in that 40 plus crowd too. So uh, if you're 40 plus, even if you didn't sign up, come on downstairs. Uh, we'll be able to connect and get some pizza and get to know each other. Um, another thing that's happening, uh, we just added a Bible study for uh, college age girls. Lissy Meyer, raise your hand. Lissy is going to lead it. Uh, so there is a sign up for that down at the table or uh, online. Uh, but we'll be announcing that over the next couple weeks. So we've been in this series uh, of revelation to the letters to the churches. And if you've been counting, we're, we're actually going to skip a church because we're going to skip to the last church day. Uh, you can go home and read about the Church of Philadelphia on your own. Uh, but timing worked out where I want to get into our next series that we're beginning uh, next week. It's uh, how to hear from God. So if you're sitting here wondering, how do I hear from God? Come to this series. We'll, we'll let you know all the ways, and it'll be amazing. Now, I'm really excited about this next series. I think it's going to challenge us and push us and be a, a nice complement to how we've already been challenged and pushed over the last six, seven weeks with these letters uh, to the churches in Revelation. So uh, we'll put up a map one last time about the churches uh, that these letters are written to. Uh, these letters have been written to these churches in this order, kind of clockwise. And it's, it's said that that's the male root of uh, these churches. So it would start in Ephesus, and then the last church, the male root would go, would be Laodicea. And that's the church we're going to focus on today. We'll begin by just reading through the letter, and then we'll come back to a couple key sections. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, these are the words. Uh, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one, either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can be rich in the white clothes and have white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love and rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So in each one of these letters, we've been walking through each one, and, and, and I've been asking this question uh, time and time again, almost every week, what would it look like for Jesus to write you a letter? What would it look like to, for Jesus to write our church a letter? What would it look like for Jesus to write a letter to the churches in our region or in America? Well, what would Jesus say, hey, this is going well, I commend you for this, good job on this. And then what would Jesus warn against? What would Jesus warn against? That, hey, you're, you're, you're starting to look a little bit too much like the culture around you. I designed you. I made you. I, I called you to stand out. So that when people see you, they see salt. They see light. They see me. But where would he warn us? Like, hey, you're, you're starting to look too much like culture. Like, when I, when I look, I can't distinguish between you and the other non-Christians, the people that aren't following Jesus. Or, or where would he just straight up go, you're heading down the wrong path. You're going the wrong direction. Turn around. Repent. This is an invitation. This is a warning. I want you to follow me. I want all of you. So please, turn around. We'll have time to kind of process that a little later. But there's a lot going on in this letter. And in this letter, he begins with this this warning. He says, I know your deeds. Church, I know what you do. Church, I know how you live. Church, I know how you talk to your neighbor. I I know how you carry on with your business. I know what you do with your profits of your business. I know how you live. I know your deeds. And you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. So that doesn't sound good, right? So Jesus is saying, I know your deeds. I know how you live. I know all these things about you. And you're not hot or you're not cold. I wish you were one or the other. And he has this moment where he, where he almost is just disgusted. He's like, I'm, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, this is a direct cultural reference. See, Laodicea was situated between two cities. It kind of formed a triangle. It was, one city was Heropolis. And this city was known for having a hot spring that flowed out of it. In this hot spring, people would travel for miles and miles around the whole region to go to this hot spring. They would vacation at this hot spring. And it was said that there were healing properties in the water. So people would go and and just sit in the water and and enjoy the hot springs. And then the other the other direction from Laodicea was a city called Colossae. This is, uh, Paul was writing to the church in the city of Colossae with the book of Colossians. And so this city of Colossae is kind of off the beaten path, and it had a cold water spring that flowed from it. That was refreshing and life-giving. Laodicea was situated between these two cities, and it had 35 miles 
for water to travel from each of these cities. And from Laodicea, it tried to get the hot springs. From Colossae, it tried to get the cold springs. And it would bring these water, waters in. And the plumbing systems weren't all that great at the time, if you believe that. But they weren't all that great. And so oftentimes, uh, it would be difficult to get water from these cities. And oftentimes when they combined, it combined with this almost like destructive, lukewarm water. So people were after the hot springs because of the healing properties. And people were after the cold springs for the cold, refreshing water. And in the city, when these two things would mix and mix, mix this warm, uh, mineral-filled water, what would they do? Spit it out. And so the letter is pulling a direct cultural reference. Something that is in their city that they experience every single day. They know that the water from the hot springs is good, right? Like that is great. I love that water. They know the water from the cold springs is refreshing and life-giving. It's awesome. But when you combine them, it's not so great. So the first warning is, hey... The way you're living, it's not hot, and it's not cold. It's some weird combination of the two that is, I mean, frankly put, disgusting. And he's saying, I wish you were one or the other. I wish the way that you were living as my church, as my followers, was good and useful. That's the bottom line of what he's saying. Because hot water is good. Cold water is good. This strange combination where it's kind of blah and disgusting... It's not good. So in this letter, he's pleading with the church. Church, be useful. Be good. Be a blessing. You can choose. You can be hot or you can be cold. But please be one. This strange mix where like you're trying to do the Christian thing, but you're, you're not really serious about it. You're trying to, trying to also live uh, with the qualities and the values of the world, and it's just becoming weird and, and, and intermixed. It's just a little... He's saying, pick one. Be useful. And then he goes right into this section on, you say, you, you say I am rich. I'm acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. Isn't that the dream we're all chasing? Isn't that the so-called American dream? For all of us to get to that spot where we go, yes, I have everything that I've ever wanted and money to buy more. Right? Right? This was the attitude of the people of Laodicea. Uh, actually, uh, the, the, uh, the Roman mint at the time printed local coins for, for currency and, and buying things. 
So each city kind of had its batch of local coins. On the coin of Laodicea was the quote, we did it. Right? We did it. Actually, uh, in the time, there, the Colossae and this other city, Her- Heropolis, each were struggling financially, struggling to make it work, and so the Roman government provided bailouts to them to help rebuild their cities, and Laodicea was also offered the bailout and said, we don't want it. Why? Because we're wealthy, and we could take care of it ourselves. And you see it right there on the coins that were printed. We did it. (laughs) We don't rely on anybody. We make our own products. We sell them. We get the profits. We build our city up. It's all us. We did it. And so what the letter is sitting there going, saying, hey, yeah, I know. I know you're rich. I know you could provide for yourself. I know you've worked hard for that. But that's not all what life is. And there's something that's missing. He says, yeah, you're, you're wealthy. You can buy things. Congratulations. But at the end of the day, you're empty. You're broken. You're lonely. He says, you're pitiful. You don't realize that you're naked. And then he pleads with them, I I beg you, buy gold, buy life from me. Because that is the life that is everlasting. That is the life that is fulfilling. You can chase after all that's been created. But if you don't have the creator, there is going to be something missing deep in your soul and in your mind. That you are going to be continually chasing after. So you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve on your eyes. In Laodicea, uh, the, the cities surrounding and in Heropolis, it was known for creating this salve out of the hot spring mineral water. And this salve would help people with blindness. I don't know how it worked, but the salve, they would put salve on their eyes and it would help them regain their sight. So this is a direct reference to culture. In following Jesus, in following the creator, you can be healed. You can be made whole. You can be given a new purpose in life. You can be given a new identity in life. You could stop chasing after all of these things in life that aren't fulfilling. So let's talk about this. What does it mean to be lukewarm like like what was he getting at what was he getting at that hey i'd rather you be hot or i'd rather you be cold i'd rather you be good and useful not this weird combination of both but i'd rather you be one of these things to the people in your community to the people in your world there's a direct challenge here you are lukewarm church i want you to be one or the other because right now it's not a great mix 
And I wonder, I just wonder, like if Jesus was writing a letter to us and he were to say the same things, like I wish you were hot, I wish you were cold, I wish you were something, but, but you're this weird mix of lukewarmness, what would that look like to us? I think it's a question we have to wrestle with, right? Uh, Years ago, uh, a pastor named Francis Chan wrote a book called Crazy Love. And uh, maybe you've read the book, but uh, the book, to be honest, I think the book went a little too far sometimes. Like, I I remember reading the book, and I was like, man, that feels like a, a decent kick in the shin, and, and like every chapter was just like him kicking you in the shin over and over and over and over again. So I, I think the book went a little drastic, right? Like he went in hard in the paint a little too hard. Uh, but uh, I think there was a valuable chapter that I reread, reread this week. And it had to deal with this idea of being lukewarm. And so I think in all these letters, as they're letters directed to the churches, a real church in a real time with real people struggling with what it looked like to live in their culture and follow Jesus. I think in all of these letters, as we read them, we have to ask the question, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Are we like them? Or not? So in this chapter... Francis Chan lays out a couple things that that characterize lukewarm people. So I'm just going to read through them. And some of these uh, may be convicting, or or maybe they won't be. Um, But lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It's what's expected of them, what they believe good Christians do. So they go. Lukewarm people give money in charity to the church. As long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra, it's easy and safe to give, and they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of church. They care more deeply about what people think about their actions like church attendance and giving, than what God thinks about their hearts and their lives and their motives. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin, and they aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life that Jesus Offers is any better than the life they're living now. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Jesus, yet they do not act in their own life. They assume such action is for the extreme Christians, not the average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of his followers. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, coworkers, or friends. They don't want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. Lukewarm people gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves <coughs> to the secular world. 
They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore Jesus as, and so on and so on, they are nowhere near as horrible as the neighbor down the street. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus and he is indeed part of their lives, but he's only part. They give him a section of their time, their money, their thoughts, and he isn't allowed to control any other aspect of their lives. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. They live lives structured so they never really have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement in place. They don't genuinely seek out the life that God would have for them. They have it figured out and mapped out, and it's nice and neat and comfortable. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full for the most part, and they're in good health. The truth is their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. Lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average, but besides that, they really aren't different from your typical unbeliever. They equate their partially sanitized lives with holiness, but they couldn't be more wrong. That's a lot of things that I just threw at you. Did any of them sting a little bit? Because they did for me, right? <laughs> you read through some of these things, you're like, ugh, it's, it's a little too much, Francis. Settle down, settle down. But I, I think this begs the question, how are we living? We've been asking that question throughout this entire series. A little while, a couple, two sermons ago, we started with Jesus called us to be the salt and light of the world. And he was writing to the church and he was saying, look, you're starting to look too much like culture and you're losing sight of who I am. And so this is another wake-up call for the church, for followers of Jesus. What does your life look like? Like if someone was to look at your life, if Jesus was to look at your life, What would he say? You're hot. You're on fire. This is awesome. People, when they are around you, they enjoy being around you. That you have healing properties about your life and the way that you live and interact with people. You're cold. You're like a cold drink of water. You're refreshing. You're life-giving. Like when people get around you, they're just like, ah, this is amazing. Or are they like, yeah, they're nice. (laughs) They're okay, like, you know, there's nothing really quite different about their life. They have the same struggles as I do. They kind of react the same. They they type the same things on, on Facebook that I would type, and it's not all that great and they get mad and they're judging and 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 all this stuff. I don't really see how they live different at all. Like, they got the house, they got the granite countertops, they got the boat, they got the vacation homes, they've, they've got everything. Everything that I want, they have. And it's funny, one time I asked to use their cabin, and they said, no, they don't let strangers use their cabin. Like, what would Jesus look like if he was looking at your life? Would he say, you are hot, you are cold? Or would he go, man, you're this weird combination of lukewarmness that, that I can't really stand. 
We're really wrapping up these letters with a punch, I tell you. But I love that in each of these letters, there's a dose of grace and an invitation. Because what does he go into? He gives the judgment. He's going, look, your life doesn't really look like a, different than anybody else's. And, and those were all just things to get you thinking. What does a lukewarm life look like as you're following Jesus? And he says, look, you like to have everything yourself. You like to provide for yourself. You don't want to ask for help. You don't want to lean on me. You don't want to depend on me. You don't really want to go to the source. You want to do it your way, your own way. You got to provide your own thing. So, so you got that thing going for you. You don't even realize that you're, you're pitiful and you're broken and you're lonely and you're riddled with anxiety and worry and all these things, but, but yet you just keep going doing your own thing because it's working out so well for you. He goes, you don't even realize that's where you're at. You're stuck in this I can do it mentality. And then there's this beautiful section. He says, look, the people that I love I correct. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't correct you. I know we, we kind of grade against this in culture, right? There's this part of us where it's like, uh, it, it's almost like we live in an immature world in our brain where anybody that corrects us is wrong. But really, like Jesus is going, I love you. So I'm going to correct you. Because a loving parent does that for their child. When their child is off course, when their child is chasing after something that isn't good, when their child is are looking at the wrong thing or chasing after the wrong thing, the parent's job is to come alongside and go, hey, I'm going to course uh, set the right course here. We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to set you in the right direction. Because why? I love you. So we in the church look at correction as a good thing. A thing that is an opportunity to transform. Is an opportunity to mature. To grow up. So he says, I'm, I love you. That's why I'm correcting you. If I didn't love you, you wouldn't hear from me. He's saying, be earnest, repent, turn, live your life differently. And then he has this saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. See, there is this rule in this city, in this region, for Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers, I mean, they were barbaric, they were soldiers. Uh, there was a training outpost in Laodicea. So, 
the city had an, an extreme amount of soldiers living in the city and, and coming and going. There was a law that if a soldier came to your house and knocked on your door, you would have to give them whatever they wanted. Didn't matter your situation, didn't matter how much money you had. If a Roman soldier came to your door and knocked on the door, you had to provide food for them, you had to give them a place to sleep, even if it meant your own family maybe didn't eat. Or your own family maybe had to sleep in the living room instead of their bedrooms so that the Roman soldiers could have a place to stay. What's the context here? Right? I love that it's put like this. Hey, I know in your context, when you hear this, you tense up. When you hear this, you're wondering, do I have enough food to feed who's on the other side of the door? When I hear this, I worry as a father because I don't know what these Roman soldiers are going to come in and and how they're going to treat my family members. Jesus is going, look, I'm nothing like that. See, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And when you open the door and invite me in, I'm not going to barge in. I need to be invited into your home. But when you invite me into your home, we're going to sit around the dining room table and we're going to feast. And we're going to have conversation. And we're going to talk. We're going to just talk about all of life like nothing is off limits. I'm going to ask you about your family. I'm going to ask you about your job. I'm going to listen to your struggles, listen to your pain. We're going to talk as what? Friends. Are there any like qualifications that Jesus mentions? Like, when I come and knock at your door, I'm going to check the list to see if you've been a good church member. I'm going to check the list to see if you swore this week. I'm going to check the list to see if, if you're struggling with this list of sins. I'm going to check and see how you're living your life and see if you're worthy of me coming and eating at your table. Is that the attitude? No. Couldn't be any further from the truth. Jesus says, when I knock on the door, there's no qualifications. If you open that door, I'm going to come hang out in your house. I'm going to sit at your table and we're going to talk and we're going to be friends. I hope that is a like fresh air to your lungs. That this is the king that we serve. The one who doesn't barge in and demand, but the one who gets invited in. He's pursuing you. He's knocking. And he wants to come in and hang out with you. And so a question for us. 
is Jesus sitting at our table? He's knocking. Have you opened the door? Have you let him in? Doesn't matter if you're living a lukewarm life. Doesn't matter if you've got this whole list of things that you can point to and go, see, this is why Jesus wouldn't come in my house because I've done all these things. Jesus goes, it doesn't matter. I'm going to knock anyway. Your choice whether you invite me in or not. Is Jesus in your house? Have you opened the door? I want to provide a couple minutes here um, because I think I think coming to the end of these letters, there's a phrase that keeps being repeated at the end of each letter. Do you do you know what that phrase is? End of every letter. This is audience participation. I'm not going to move on until someone answers. <laughs> what? Beautiful. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so worship team is going to come up and we're going to play some just music. And I want to give you some space. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was riding my bike on this mountain bike trail with a couple of friends. And just this thought came in my head um, as I was riding. What's the Spirit saying to renew? I said, I don't know. I should ask the people. Because one thing that I believe is that the Holy Spirit is active and present in all of our lives. And the Holy Spirit is speaking. And the Holy Spirit is calling us to be transformed by Jesus and live differently. And so I wanted to leave some space here, a couple minutes. So relax. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Uh, there are pads of paper at the end of each of the pews and stocked pens. And so this is what I want to do. I want to just sit for a couple minutes. And I want to just pray. Come Holy Spirit. And so I want you to get comfortable. I want you to just sit. And you don't even need to have words. If, if you're not comfortable with praying or you're not used to praying or you don't, want to, you don't know what to say, it's okay. I just want you to sit. And if you feel comfortable, maybe you can just repeat, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. What's Jesus saying to us? What's Jesus saying to you? So carve out some time and let's listen to what Jesus is saying. And if you hear something, I want to encourage you to write it down. And if it's for you, just take it, take it home. Maybe you want to share it with a friend. If it's something for our church, 
Just write it down, fold it up, and leave it on the pew when you leave. But just take a moment and just pray. Listen for Jesus. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to listen 
for your voice. Sometimes your voice is very loud and very clear, and sometimes it's just this small, gentle whisper. Sometimes it's not even a word, but it's just a knock. Jesus, I pray you give us ears to hear. In your name we pray, amen. How many would say that you heard something significant from the Holy Spirit? How many would say you didn't really hear anything at all? Raise your hand if you, if you really didn't. Because here's, here's what we want to cultivate here. We want to cultivate this place where we listen for Jesus. And sometimes words are spoken and sometimes nothing's said. But we get to rejoice as we look around the room and we say, hey, I heard something significant Jesus say. We can celebrate that. And we can give God honor and praise for that. Amen? Amen. So let's stand up and let's worship.